It is a privilege to be here with all of you this morning. This spot is pretty special up here to me. Uh, my wife and I were blessed to be married on this spot a little over 12 years ago. We renewed our vows at our 10th anniversary a couple years ago here. All five of our children were dedicated here with um, David Weil and just had some spectacular moments. So, um, Not to mention the fact that God is literally in this space with us right now. He's really here. Not just in a philosophical way, not just in a, you know, kind of a spiritual sense, he's here. Just as he was with every person in scripture through all those great stories, through all those great accounts that we read about. And so my hope and my prayer is that we'll leave this building, leave this room a little bit later, having grown a little bit closer to God and feeling as if we have a little bit more clarity regarding how God wants us to live Monday through Saturday. I came across a quote recently from Rick Warren out at Saddleback Church in Lake Forest, California, believe it or not, and he said something interesting. He said, is what you are living for, is it worth what Jesus died for? You know, that's one of those, you know, sermon, you know, a sermon in 15 words, but wow, that really stopped me. And it reminded me that it's been something that I've been wrestling with over my 13 and a half years of being a Christian, trying to reconcile what I read in Scripture, and especially in Acts in the New Testament, and trying to somehow, you know, justify and juxtapose and, and kind of calibrate with the way that I'm following Jesus right now in 21st century United States, you know, in the suburbs of a major metropolitan city. And so I've been thinking about that, and, and in preparation for this message, I wanted to sit down and just list out some of the characteristics of the American dream, some of the characteristics that um, many of us have been taught that, that maybe we don't, it, it's so implicit, it's so subconscious, some of it, that we don't even realize we're going for it. Um, and then to look through Scripture and say, what are God's dreams, what are God's hopes? What are God's purposes? What is God's will, big picture for humanity? At the end of time, when God finally throws the evil one into the lake of fire forever, when he uh, destroys sin and, and he sets everything the way it should have been, when he sets everything right for eternity, what is it going to be like then? And so what are some of the ways that we can start pushing back the night now? What are some of the ways that we can start partnering with God to make his dreams come true right now? And so what I want to do is I want to walk through some of the characteristics of the American dream and, and some of the scripture passages that I, th that I think speak to those and then walk through some of the, the characteristics of God's dreams. I'm not going to, unfortunately, be able to get through all of them, but um, the marketing team here has put together a really fantastic kind of bulletin insert in your worship folder. Our hope is that you would just kind of take that with you. That could be put, you know, in a desk drawer somewhere or on the fridge or on a bulletin board, and you could just use it as a reference for in the future when you can't sleep in the middle of the night or when you feel like God's speaking to you on something that you've heard this morning, um, that, you would, that you would reference that and maybe just connect um, some of those dreams, American dream, God's dream, to some of those scripture passages, and then just continue that dialogue with the Holy Spirit and say, Are, is there any ways in my life that I'm pursuing those things that aren't going to last forever? 
Is there any way that I'm, I'm pouring out the water of my life, not onto good soil and good seed, but am I pouring out the time and the energy and the finances and the dreams of my life onto concrete? where the water can't, can't really help anything grow. So I think that's going to be an ongoing conversation for all of us with the Holy Spirit, but that's what that, uh, that handout is for. So the American dream, big picture, in my opinion, it involves humans getting what we want and getting what we want right now. And so I was looking through the scriptures and trying to find, you know, a, um, a parable or a verse or a passage that, that speaks to that. And the parable of the prodigal son jumped out at me. And that's in, you know, Luke chapter 15. But just the first two verses of it I thought were, were key. Um, it says this. Jesus continued, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. Verse 12, the younger one, the younger son, said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Give me my inheritance. And so the father divided his property between his older and younger son. Many of us have heard this parable before, but as I was preparing this message, it hit me for the first time. The younger son went to his dad and he said, Dad, I want you to pretend as if you're dead. And I want you to give me what I would get when you die. Because for all intensive purposes, that's how you are to me. You're dead. Give me what's coming to me. I don't want to wait for the future. I want it now. Think about that. We do that to God sometimes. We want something that he wants us to have in the future, and we want it now. We want to be in charge. We want to be our own boss. We want to be captains of our fate and masters of our destinies. And look at what the father does. He does it scandalously, he gives the younger son the inheritance ahead of time. And then we learn later on in that parable that, that he, he was out looking after the son had been gone for a long, long period of time, after he had squandered that inheritance, the father would still come at his front door and gaze on the horizon to see if that son would ever come back. And when he did, we know the story. He runs to the son. He runs to that wayward child and brings him back and honors him again in ways that he doesn't deserve. But so we can ask ourselves, Holy Spirit, what are the ways that I'm demanding things from God now that should be had in the future or maybe that I shouldn't have at all? What are some ways that I'm trying to scoot God off his throne, the ways that I'm trying to scoot God out of the driver's seat of my life and take control in a way that God never intended me to do? That's big picture American dream. Here's a couple of the characteristics, I think, of the American dream that many of us pursue without realizing it. First of all, as a relatively younger guy, I can tell you that a great physical body is absolutely one of the pursuits of the American dream. I can't walk in a Barnes & Noble or go down in Walgreens, you know, the magazine aisle, without seeing men and women just showing off these, you know, sculpted bodies, bodies that have either been sculpted with, you know, a great amount of time, you know, six, seven, eight hours a day, you know, seven days a week of just focusing on this, this physical object or maybe it's been airbrushed through computers, or maybe it's been sculpted through a surgeon's scalpel. But one way or another, we are pursuing, many of us, this ideal of, of whatever we think is, is, is a beautiful and, and good-looking and attractive physical body. And I'm not up here saying that that's necessarily a bad thing, right? It is important for us to be good stewards over this body that God has given us. However, when I look back over the times in my life when I've exercised and worked out, very 
often it wasn't about, well, I want to lower that cholesterol level, right? Maybe there was a little bit of that mixed in. But at the end of the day, I was going to a gym or a workout place where the walls were covered with mirrors. And I liked how my body was beginning to look. I was working out so hard and sweating and putting all that energy and effort and time and, and even money in some cases into making myself look good so that when I looked at myself in the mirror, that I liked what I saw, that I, that I got some kind of satisfaction and pleasure and contentment out of it. The flip side I found was also true. That when my body wasn't looking like exactly how I wanted or, or maybe how some of the guys on you know, the covers of magazines looked, I found myself getting sad. I found myself getting depressed. That, that's unhealthy. That's not biblical. That's, that's idolatry even. To where my happiness and my joy when I wake up each morning is somehow based on what I physically look like, that's not good. And so I'm still in the process of asking God, God, wean me off of that. Help me to take care of this body, yes. But help me to remember also that it's not going to last forever. No matter how you know, muscular I get it to be, no matter how low my cholesterol is or how low my BMI is, eventually this body's going to die. And so God, help me when I wake up each morning or when I fall asleep at night. Help my contentment and my joy and my satisfaction not to come from something that's perishable, but to come from you who's everlasting to come from my identity in you as a son of God through faith in Jesus Christ that can never be changed. Help me to build my life, like Jesus said, not just my spiritual life, but my emotional and mental and, and physical life on the solid rock of Jesus and not on the shifting sands of this world. Another characteristic of the American dream is, again, much financial wealth. And again, just like with the physical body, I'm not standing up here saying that wealth is bad. This fantastic sanctuary where we worship and praise God was not built with monopoly money. It was built with real dollars that people worked really hard for and used their gifts for. Again, though, it's that issue of the heart, that issue of the motive. When we look back at ourselves or when we look back at our children, we want them to do well academically and, and we want to get into a certain college and we you know, hope you know, that ourselves or they will have a particular job and a particular career that might require them to work 50, 60 plus hours a week or more that might require them to be away from their families constantly. We need to step back sometimes and say, okay, we're, we're toiling really hard and aggressively and with much focus and determination. But what is it for? Only, you know, we and God really know that, but that's something that God can help us determine. And if we're a little bit askew, if we're a little bit off, he can help shift us back to gaining that wealth for the right purposes or possibly for shifting our career into another direction that might make us a little bit less money, that might not you know, increase our social standing with neighbors, but might bear more fruit for God's kingdom. And again, that's a discussion we have with God kind of constantly, not just once in our life, but constantly. You know, we get audited or, or we turn in our taxes and whatnot once a year, at least once a year. We should be, I think, focusing with God's help on, on the direction our lives are going and what we are toiling so hard for. Psalm 49 speaks clearly to this. Where the writer says, why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches? And when I was preparing this message, and I, 
and I came across those two verses, I, I thought, and I think God helped me understand, that there have been times in my life when I have fallen asleep, and, and in those few seconds between when my head hits the pillow and when I kind of lose consciousness, that I, f- I feel almost physically tucked in, just so satisfied, so safe, so secure with either accomplishments that I've achieved or, or, or the current state of my bank account or certain investments. I just feel so good and so safe and so secure from that. And I think God was telling me, son, you could lose that tomorrow. That could all be taken away. And if you practice that over days and weeks and months and years and decades of your life, what are you going to turn to if you do, in fact, lose that? And I think God was saying to me, start practicing, again, getting your satisfaction from that which is eternal, from that which is unshakable. Because Scripture from Genesis to Revelation shows God taking people from the palace to the prison or to the poorhouse, sometimes back to the palace, But he shows us that he was taking people on journeys that many of us, we would, what would we do if God treated us the way he treated Paul, even though he loved him? What would we do if God treated us the way he treated Joseph, even though he loved him? I don't know if we'd be ready for it. Because I don't think many of us, myself included, have been practicing putting our satisfaction and our contentment, our joy and our happiness, tying that to Jesus' coattails, as opposed to tying it to other things. So again, something for us to converse with God on. I think another characteristic of the American dream is, is over time having a sense of control or independence of our lives, a, a freedom from needing others, and, and even a freedom from relying on others, and even in some ways relying on God. Um, I think there's this... There's this uh, um, kind of belief or goal or ideal that we're raised with of the John Wayne, of the, you know, the Rambo, the one person who can kind of defeat all the enemies single-handedly, of, of being the self-made person. You know, I haven't needed anyone. I went from, you know, rags to riches, so to speak, and I kind of did it all on my own. But I think in Scripture, God's clear that he, didn't, he really didn't make us for independence. He made us um, not for freedom from him, or even necessarily for freedom from others. But he made us to be um, in need of him constantly. Look at uh, John, <clears throat> pardon me, look at John uh, chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Your life will start to declare my greatness. People will eventually look at you and praise my name. Wow, but we've got to remain in him. There's that need. There's that dependence on Jesus. Not just dependence to get to heaven, but dependence for every single moment, every single day of our lives. And then look how he closes that verse, verse 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He doesn't say apart from me, you can do some things. Apart from me, you can do a little bit. Nothing. We can do nothing of eternal significance. We can do nothing of those things that truly matter to God. We need Jesus for heaven and for every day. But we also need other people, right? Because Ecclesiastes talks about this. A cord of three strands, that verse and passage talks about, is not easily broken. We can't get through this life on our own. 
And so I've been, you know, starting to just ask God, God, just help me in those ways that, that, um, that, that I, I get puffed up when people, you know, say, wow, you did a great job on this. Boy, did you stay up late and do that project or whatever all on your own? Help me, God, when I get boast, when I get puffed up about that. Help me to ask you to remind me through your word and through other people that it's, it's, it's your design for me to need you and for me to need others. Help me to be open and vulnerable with people. Help me to not think that I need to kind of strut around implicitly or explicitly so that others think I have it all together. But help me be secure enough spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically to just kind of be transparent appropriately, to be honest with others so that they too will eventually feel the, the hospitality and the safety of maybe letting down their guards as well. Another example or characteristic of the American dream, I believe, is, is kind of seeking out thrills and, and fun and dynamic experiences. Think Seeking out kind of constant pleasure because heaven forbid any of us go through you know, extended periods of being bored. Heaven forbid we just have a simple, kind of blessed, what many would call mundane life, where we wake up and it's another Tuesday. You know, it's another day of going to work and having a great job, you know, and providing for the family. It's another day of taking care of the kids and changing diapers. It's another day of vacuuming the floors and running errands. Heaven forbid that's our lives. And I think we've bought into that idea that we've got to have adrenaline-inducing experiences constantly. We've got to jump out of airplanes, or we've got we've to risk or do things, you know, that push the envelope so that we can really feel alive. I get that. I mean, it's fun being on a roller coaster, and, and it's fun doing some of those things. But again, many of us, when we look back over our lives, and sometimes it happens, you know, often kind of in midlife, so to speak, but we look back and we, and we see just kind of a, you know, same old, same old. The kids are getting older and I'm getting older, but yet we haven't maybe had very many tragedies, right? It's just kind of been a middle-of-the-road type of a life, not terrible, not living on $1 a day or less like half the world does, but certainly not gracing the covers of magazines and, and, and newspapers and so forth. But when we look back on that, in many ways, isn't that a blessing from God? To have that simple life that lasts possibly 70 or 80 more years. Isn't that a gift from God that maybe we don't have those adrenaline-inducing moments, but we have the gift of each day, right? Today is a new day from God. His mercies are renewed every single day. What a gift. But getting to that point where we're content with that, you know, Tuesday or that Saturday kind of drudgery, that doesn't happen naturally within us. We need God's supernatural help to say, God, help me to be thankful for that. Help me to find joy in the routine aspects of life. And if you do give us bursts of kind of unusual celebration, or if some of us even maybe get our 15 minutes of fame, so to speak, okay, that can be a platform, that can be used for God's glory also, but God, help me to not need that. Help me to know that each moment that you've given me, whether I'm a stay-at-home mom or whether I'm just crunching numbers behind the desk all day or, or whatever, help me to know that that's a gift from you. You've given me air in my lungs and food in my belly. You've given me intelligence and a day-to-day -to, -day to love you with all my heart and to love others the way I love myself so that they can hopefully look at me 
and see how great you are. What a gift that is. Another characteristic, I think, is avoiding pain, discomfort, and heartache at all cost. Trying to just insulate ourselves and protect us from that tragedy down the road. Trying to, you know, be preventative on some of the calamities that might befall us in life. The problem with this, I think, is that it causes us to refrain when God does eventually ask us to do something dangerous. When God does eventually ask us to risk physically or emotionally or mentally or spiritual or financially that we say, I can't do that because we practice so much, um, um, you know, kind of safety and quality control over every other aspect of our lives that when God wants us to do something reckless for him, we're not ready for it. We're not used to it. And so we hold back. But when I read through the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, especially the New Testament, it's just a category of people doing crazy and foolish things for God Foolish by the ways of this world, but certainly not foolish in God's economy. Paul wrote to Timothy, if anyone wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, if anyone wants to kind of, you know, have all their cylinders firing and wants to be pedal to the metal, so to speak, as a follower of Jesus, he says, they're going to face persecution. It's going to happen. Eventually, people are going to mistreat us for loving Jesus and loving them, if we are living all out for him. And I don't think that means that we go and kind of chase controversy or we we try and make people angry at us. No. But in the course of our living for Jesus and growing up in him, eventually people are going to want to trim our branches. They're going to say, this tree's too big. This fruit's too smelly. I don't like it. I want something different. And so we've got to ask ourselves, if we've been following Jesus 10, 15, 20, 30 or more years If everyone only speaks well of us, if we haven't faced a lot of kind of backlash or or personal kind of mistreatment or even just as simple as being made fun of, what does that maybe say? I don't know, but I think it maybe says something, something that we can converse with God about, maybe converse with our small group about and a trusted group of friends, Christian friends, and say, am I playing it safe? Am I stepping out for Jesus on the tightrope or am I kind of hunkering down in the bunker of Christianity and just waiting for Jesus to come back and bring me to heaven. Jesus said, the harvest is plenty and the workers are few. There's a lot of people out there, billions, that Jesus loves. He loves them all. And we, I don't understand why, but I know, do understand what, we are God's chosen instruments along with the Holy Spirit and the Bible for letting people know how great God is for letting people know how much God loves them, and for letting people know how much they need God. We're his chosen instruments, but if we choose to stay in the violin case, right, if we choose to, you know, be a beautiful piano, but we keep the keys covered so that God can never play those difficult pieces for the world to hear, what good are we? So those are some of the characteristics, I think, of the American dream. And yet, I want to focus as we close and some of the characteristics of God's dreams, God's, what, what God's eventually going to make happen, what's eventually going to come to pass. And yet, even though, as we've all learned before, even though God doesn't need us to make his will be done, he wants us to be part of that process of making his will be done. Like I said, he invites us, broken instruments, 
He invites us to be repaired and healed and fixed and fine-tuned and eventually played by him, the great virtuoso, to play his melody so that when others hear it, some of them will say, I want to be played by that master. I want to be played by the king of heaven and earth, almighty God. We have that opportunity to be part of those instruments that God plays, to spread his fame over the earth. So let's go through a couple of the characteristics of God's dreams. Eventually, I think, big picture, God's dream is that his will will be done. What God wants to have happen, God's desires each day, each moment even, that that is what will happen. And I think so many of us, Christians included, but certainly non-Christians, there's a sense of, you know, um, <clears throat> God's rules and the Bible's law, it's, it's, it's a burden and it's a shackle. It, it, it's chains, you know, keeping us from freedom. When in fact, if you read scripture, that it's exactly the opposite. God's law gives us that freedom, right? For those of us who enjoy kind of, you know, driving a car, especially those who have a convertible and on a beautiful summer day, you're driving with the top down. Who enjoys driving more for a longer period of, of time? The people who drive anywhere they want on the roads? The people who go, you know, against traffic and just, woohoo, this is amazing. Or the people who follow the traffic laws, who stop at red lights, who, who stay in the proper lanes and relatively obey the speed limits. Who gets to enjoy driving longer? The people who follow the rules. And, and the same is true with God. When we, when we accept him as our Savior, Jesus Christ, our sin debt is paid. We're forgiven of all that. And then we're set free from that bondage of sin. We're set free to live as Jesus wants us to live within though generous and beautiful and wise confines of his law. Eventually, God's will is going to happen that way. And when God's children are in heaven, it's, I think it's just going to be natural for us to just kind of follow the rules. But none of us, I don't think, are going to be bored. None of us are going to say, oh, what a burden this is. But we're going to truly experience what Jesus said when he said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Take my way of life. Take my rules, my wisdom. And for I am gentle and humble in heart, you will find rest for your souls. But we can start experiencing that now. We can start experiencing what Jesus said when he taught his disciples how to pray. And he said, um, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name in Matthew chapter 6. Your kingdom come. Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's something we are supposed to pray for, that God's will would be done on earth the way it's done in heaven. But again, we can be part of that, of pushing back the night, of shining the light of Jesus through the way we drive to the grocery store, through the way we treat our neighbors, co-workers, our children, spouses, all of those things. That's a way that we can, we can help God's will be done on earth even as it is in heaven. That's exciting. Another characteristic of God's will um, is that humans would intimately know that humans would um, be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. In Ezekiel, God talks about this. He says, do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? When people earthly lives end and they haven't trusted in me? Am I, am I happy about that? That, woohoo, now I get to punish them forever? 
He says no. And this is in the Old Testament, right, when God is supposedly angry all the time. No. He says, I don't take any joy or pleasure in that. He says, here's what I really want. I want them to turn to me and live. And then he cries out, Israel, oh Israel, why will you die in your sins? Jesus, as he was looking out over Jerusalem before he was crucified, he spread out his arms and he said, oh Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, you kill all the messengers that, that you know, God the Father has sent to you, how I long not to punish you, how I long to just put you in that eternal naughty corner. But he says, how I long to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But then he closes and he says, that's what I want to do. But you're not willing. Friends, probably the biggest part of God's dream is that people would be in heaven with him. And I know that this gets into that age-old debate of kind of predestination and free will and so on and so forth. I don't pretend to understand all of that. What I do know, however, is that God wants everyone there and that we, along with Scripture and the Holy Spirit, are God's chosen instruments to help people know this great God who's different from all the other religions of the world. It's not, like Mike has said many times, Christianity is not this I do, it's this he did. God doesn't love us because we're good, he loves us because he is good. That might seem kind of simple or, you know, 101 for many of us, but there are a lot of people out there that have no idea that that's what the Bible teaches. They have no idea that that's God's plan. And so they got to hear it and they got to see it lived out. That's God's dream. He invites us each day to be a part of that. I think I wrote down the wrong time of when I'm supposed to stop, but I'm supposed to stop pretty soon. Let me close. Um, I I got a lot to say, all right? But um, let, let me close with this. Many of us are familiar with the biblical account of Jonah. It's a short book, you know, kind of in the middle or toward the back of the Old Testament. Jonah is told by God to go to Nineveh and to let them know, essentially, that if they don't repent, if they, you know, If they don't turn to Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth, they are going to be destroyed. And he doesn't want to do that because he knows God is super merciful. And he's like, oh, if I do that, you're probably going to have mercy on them and I don't want them to be on our team because I don't like them. And so he goes in the other direction to Tarshish, which is, you know, kind of modern-day Spain. God, obviously, eventually swallowed him with a whale or a great fish because he went to Tarshish. But it wasn't that going to modern-day Spain was wrong. If you guys go to Spain and get to travel there, God's not going to swallow you with the whale. It was wrong for Jonah because God told him to go the other direction in Nineveh. Many of us Christians, we look at our lives and we say, well, I can't see any glaring sin. I can't see any, like, really terrible thing that I do. So it must be all, you know, pretty much acceptable to God. And I would say, hold on a second. Let's use the word Let's utilize the Holy Spirit. Let's utilize people we trust, Christians we trust around us. You might be going to Tarshish each day, but God wants you to go to Nineveh. God might want you to do something completely different than the way you're spending your time, your weekends, your work, your play, etc. Ask God that. God, am I going west when you want me to go east? Am I doing things that are not worthy of what you died for? Help me to understand that and help me to not feel weighed down with guilt or shame, but help me to be excited that I get the opportunity for however long I have on earth to get back on the right track 
and to have you playing your beautiful notes through me, an unworthy and broken instrument. Help me with that, God. He will. And he'll do it with a smile on his face, not heavy-handed, but with the tender hands of a masseuse, the tender hands of a surgeon who's not trying to maim, but is trying to heal. Let me pray. Almighty God, I thank you so much for your patience with us, God. I thank you that you'll love us, that even when we do go in the opposite direction or even when we do kind of drift a little bit you know, from the lane that you've put us in off the highway, when we're in danger of going off the path that you have prepared for us, I thank you that you chase after us. You leave the 99 behind to follow uh, us wayward sheep. You, you, you pursue us, not to throw us in jail, but to set us free from it. And God, I just pray you would help us. You would ignite in us. You would stoke those flames of helping us be more and more about accompanying you as you fulfill your dreams. God, help none of us to walk out if you're thinking that, oh, golly, God just wants me to do more, more, more. God, meet each one of us where we're at and give us that beautiful, um, tailor-made medication, so to speak, that, that tailor-made diagnosis and, and, and healing plan so that we can become who you made us to be and do what you made us to do, not with guilt and shame and, and trying to earn your love or just do more for you, but that peace that surpasses all understanding of taking your yoke around our neck, Jesus, your burden that is easy and light and that truly sets us free. Help us with that. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.